And now Danny's going to come and continue on with our series. Good morning. How are you all this morning? Good. You know, sometimes we, uh, we've been neglectful as uh, pastors and leaders. We, we hear some wonderful stories about what God is doing in the church, physical healing and restoration of marriages and this and that. And, and we, we haven't been able to, or we haven't taken the opportunity to pass it on. But I just wanted to take a moment this morning. Right, last night, even right before uh, the sermon, as we were worshiping, I had four people come up to me and share about healings, either complete healings or, or progressive healing that's taking place that I just wanted to, to share with you, just to encourage you. Uh, and, and they were all within the last week or so that they saw the, the, the change. Um, one individual, uh, his name is Mike, Mike Kramer. And Mike uh, had just, for quite a while, he had a, a tremendous pain in his arm. He had to wear a brace and, and to take care of the, the pain from the shoulder to the, to the wrist. Uh, it, it interfered with his work and so on and so forth. Last Sunday, got prayer uh, as we were praying for each other. Remember, after, uh, at the end of the service, uh, JT had us pray for each other. And he just instantly was healed during that prayer time last week. Mike, that's cool. We, we can be uh, thankful for that. His wife, Leanne, they were a little kind of, you know, I thought it was kind of gauche for them to both get, get healing. But his wife, uh, Leanne, for 30 some odd years has suffered with insomnia. Just terribly difficult falling asleep, waking up and not falling back asleep. Got prayer again last weekend for her insomnia. And she said, just from that night on, she has slept soundly, not woken up, fell, has fallen asleep quickly. Just God's grace that God can intervene. That's cool, too. I said they, they hit their quota, though, for healings for the year just in that family. The, uh, Sean, uh, many of you know Sean. Sean has, uh, he had just considerable pain in his knee, some problems with, I don't know all the, uh, whether it was, what it was, but he had for a long time problems with his knee, couldn't you know, squat down, would hear all sorts of clicks and noises and have pain when his knee would bend, got prayer last weekend, and he said he's had a week of no pain, that God just instantly healed him that night. Very cool. One more I'll share with you. Many of you know Mark Johnson. Mark, a number of years ago, had a heart transplant. He's a young guy, young to me. He's, you know, Mark's only in his upper 40s now, maybe early 50s. But Mark had a transplant uh, uh, a number of years ago, heart transplant. And his body recently, over the last number of months, began to reject that heart. And uh, they had to put him back on a list. For, uh, for another heart transplant because it was, uh, the, the heart was just degrading considerably. Uh, went in for a test this week to see whether he needed to be moved up higher on the list, get a new heart more quickly, and they found out that his heart is 30% better than it was in the prior testing, not worse. No explanation medically. The, uh, and again, what I want us to recognize for Mark, Mark has been faithful to get prayer in small group, prayer on Sunday mornings, prayer in, at home, the other folks just simply going before the Lord. We don't know 
we don't know when God is going to choose to heal and when he's not healing. I, don't, I can't explain how he, when the kingdom of God's power slices in and why it doesn't at other times. But what I do know is that generally speaking, if you don't ask God for him to touch you, you probably don't see him bring his healing, bring his power, bring restoration. So I, I just was so encouraged with those, those four testimonies last night, wanted to pass them on to you. Well, we're going to be continuing our series. We're calling this series, Go. And we're talking about being disciples. A disciple is a, a learner, a, a student, but more than that, a disciple of Jesus Christ is one who has given themselves to imitate Jesus. It's not just information, of course. Being a disciple means that we allow Christ to be reproduced in us in a progressive manner, that he transforms us in a progressive manner, that we can, can grow so that we can reflect Christ. And as, as disciples... One of the things that we've talked about is that discipleship doesn't happen in classes, but it, it, and it's, the goal isn't just to, to grow in knowledge and so that we can feel better about ourselves. The whole purpose of discipleship is that as we come and draw near to Jesus and, the, and as he sends us to, to go, that we can bless others with the kindness and the mercy forgiveness and the love that Jesus has shown us. We are working off a passage in uh, Matthew chapter 28 in this entire series where Jesus gathered the disciples to himself. In Matthew 28 verse 18 he said to the disciples, now I want you to go. You've traveled with me for three years. You've listened to me. You've heard and watched my life. He says, now I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to do and to say all those things that I've taught you. So there's this ebb and flow in the kingdom of God where we continually draw near to Jesus, but then he sends us to go and be disciples and to make disciples. And we've talked about so many different context in which we can make disciples. We've talked about how we nurture our own faith as disciples. Today we're going to talk about part of being a disciple and part of, of forming other disciples is that we become a people who extend and live with this, this understanding that there is justice in the kingdom of God. We're going to be talking about justice now, we're not talking about criminal justice, as it's often referred to. We're talking about today social justice. And social justice simply is justice as it pertains to relationships. Justice as it pertains to how we relate as individuals to other individuals. And this concept of justice that we're going to explain and explore and lay out today, this concept of justice is something that is talked about in the scripture and encouraged from cover to cover in the Old Testament and certainly in the New Testament. In, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, God, through Micah, is speaking. Through the prophet Micah, God says this, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, 
literally to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Justice is, is doing what is right, regardless of whether it's convenient or comfortable or socially acceptable. Justice means we do what is right in a situation and on behalf of another person. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Learn to do good. Seek justice. In other words, pursue justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of, the orf of orphans. Fight for the rights of the widow. So justice is, is an activity. It's not just a, a, a nice warm thought. It's an activity that we pursue. And again, in Isaiah, in chapter 58, God is speaking to his people through his prophet Isaiah, and he's addressing the topic of, of fasting. And he says, I, I want you to understand what, what kind of fast I'm looking for. God says, I want you to understand it, it's more than just giving something up. It's more than just giving up a meal or, or giving up all food or giving up this or giving up that. This is what he says in Isaiah 58. He says, no, this is the kind of fast I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. When he talks about not hiding from relatives who need your help, he's not talking about Uncle Louie and, and Aunt Sophie. He's talking with the word relative generally in, uh, that's used here generally in the Old Testament is a word that's translated mankind. He's saying don't hide yourself from anyone, from others who, have, uh, who, have, who need your help. So social justice is something that is talked about in the scriptures. It's something, it's a command, it's not a suggestion. And certainly, if there's any doubt at all that Jesus was, was concerned about relational justice, by, about social justice, about doing what was right for those who are, who are pressed down or in need or, or are suffering, you just look at any of the pages in the Gospels describing his life. I mean, Jesus spent most of his time with those who were in great need, those who were, who were pushed aside by society, by, by the least. He spent most of his time with those who were the, the least and the lost, the last of the culture. He spent time with lepers who, who the Jews wanted nothing to do with. He showed mercy to prostitutes. He was, he was continually caring for, for Gentiles who the Jews hated and Samaritans who they despised. He is spending time with Roman officials who were the, the occupying country who, were, who had conquered Israel. He was spending time with tax gatherers who were traitors, who, who were, were, were Israelites, who, who traded and served the Romans and collected taxes for the Romans. He spent time with children and women. He spent time with those who society said just didn't rise to a standard of deserving care, deserving attention. Jesus spent so much time with the poor, the oppressed, those who had fallen and stumbled in their lives that he was accused himself of being a drunkard. 
And he was labeled as, of all things, a friend of sinners. So Jesus was concerned about justice. The scriptures speak about justice in our relationship. Now, I want us to understand that social justice oftentimes has been a divisive thing in the church. And, and there's a reason for this. There's a reason why people sometimes struggle and, and, and be, have strong opinions and have even divided over this understanding of, of showing justice and how that's expressed. And, and I want to explain why that is. There, there are two applications or, or two spheres where social justice can be applied. The first sphere is, is through government. That government can institute social service approaches in a welfare system, affirmative action, child protective laws, even tax policies are all ways in which government extends social justice. That's not what I'm speaking about today. That's not what I'm speaking about today. Because reasonable Christians can disagree on how a government, how their government should involve themselves in social justice. Welfare systems, tax policies, etc. Reasonable Christians can and do disagree. But the second sphere that the scriptures talk about, the second sphere that we need to concern ourselves with, is how we as individual Christians relate to others, how we as individual followers of Christ and disciples of Christ, how we choose to interact with the broken, the lost, those who have fallen through no fault or through faults of their own actions. And I want us to understand that the focus of the scriptures, the reason why we're going to talk about that, is because that is what the scriptures address. The scriptures very little speak to how government should function, but the scriptures speak from cover to cover how the individual needs to function, how the individual needs to respond. The Sermon on the Mount, if we try to read the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talked about to love our enemies and to turn the other cheek, and, and if someone takes your, your shirt and you know, give them your coat as well, if we try to apply that on a governmental stage, it, it, it doesn't make sense. But if we come to understand what Jesus said, what Jesus did, what Jesus taught, as it, as it pertains to the individual's heart, as he relates to another individual, then it makes sense. We are talking about social justice, one individual to another, as the Lord allows our path to cross the path of others. It's about the condition of the heart that we're going to be talking, not policies of government. Because that is almost solely where Jesus' focus is, his words and his actions. Jesus was and Jesus is concerned about the human heart. And, and principles can be extrapolated from the scriptures and applied to government. But that's not our focus and that was not Jesus' focus. Remember, Israel was an occupied nation. It had been conquered by the, by the Romans one of the most corrupt governments at the time. They, just how, how Nero and, and uh, the, the Roman government functioned. 
but Jesus didn't give his opinion on what should happen or how they should oppose the government. But he spoke often about the, the heart of man. Let me, let me make this really, really clear. We may disagree. No, we do disagree among ourselves about government policy concerning immigration. But there should be no disagreement on how the scriptures tell us that we need to, to love the Muslim who we may work with. We might disagree on public policy concerning how to best care for the poor and welfare and, and things of that sort. But if we're going to be imitators of Christ, then there can be no doubt that on a personal level, we must show love and compassion to the poor. That we need to care for and care about the, the, the immigrant that lives next door. The poor individual that we pass on the way to work. The widow or the orphan or the, or the, the person who is elderly and, and, and has, has no power and no voice themselves in our culture. Or the outcast, the, the, the person who's just shunned at work or at school and, and no one wants to talk to because they're, they're a, little bit of, a little bit obtuse. There should be no doubt in how we, how we relate on a personal level to the illegal alien. Now, some of you were thinking, oh, you just lost me there, Danny. I mean, they, they broke the law. They broke the law. They're in our country illegally. But, but think about it for a second. The, the Roman government came and conquered Israel. That's, that's not legal. <laughs> but when Jesus came across a Roman centurion, a soldier who kept, kept control over Israel, and saw the centurion had a, had a need, someone in his household needed healing, Jesus didn't say, well, yeah, you shouldn't be here, so you don't get, you don't get my love. But he, he healed that centurion's slave. The, 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 the woman caught in adultery, those who were prostitutes, they were doing things that were illegal. But they were recipients of Jesus' love, Jesus' care, his mercy, his kindness. So how do we walk out, practically, how do we walk out the words of, of Malachi, of Isaiah? How do we live and imitate Jesus? That's what we want to talk about today. I'm not addressing governmental policy. We can agree to disagree on that. We're talking today about the responsibility we have as individuals when God allows our path to cross someone who is, is, falls into that category in our culture as, as the least or the lost, the last, those who are broken, those who are pushed aside, those who are pushed down. That's what we'll be talking about today. So we're going to be in, in Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at a, a teaching of Jesus that has great application to this issue of social justice as it pertains to, to one individual to another. 
let, let me give the context to, to what we'll be uh, looking at. Jesus was, was with the disciples and, and a Pharisee, one of the leaders of, of, in the temple, one of the leaders in the society, spiritually speaking, came up to Jesus and said, what must I do to have eternal life? And, and Jesus responded and said, well, you tell me, what, what do the scriptures say? And the Pharisee said, well, we should love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And Jesus said, well, you said it. Go and do that and you'll live. And the Pharisee, I think he was wanting to get into a, a little debate here. And he, goes, and he responds and he says, well, but Jesus, who, who really is our neighbor? Let's talk about that. You know, I mean, you know, that, that's open for debate. Love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, who, who's our neighbor? Is our neighbor our friends? Is our neighbor the, the folks in our, in our neighborhood, in our community? You know, is it just that you know, our neighbor, is it Jesus, the, the, the people that go to my synagogue? You know, who, who's my neighbor? Is it, is it just the Jews, all Jews? And in response to that question of who really is our neighbor, in other words, who really are we responsible to care about? Who do I really need to be responsible to, to extend mercy and justice to? That's what Jesus is talking about in the passage that we're looking at today. So let's continue reading. In verse 30, Jesus continues to say, in response to this question of who is our neighbor, who is it that we're to love and care about and be concerned about? Jesus replied and said, okay, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers and they stripped him and they beat him and they went away leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was walking down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side of the road. And likewise, a Levite, another leader in the, in the synagogue, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw this man in the ditch, he passed by on the other side. Now, why didn't that priest, why didn't the Levite, why wouldn't they help? Well, I think there's two primary reasons. One are the cultural norms of the day. The second is, is the personal cost. By, by cultural norms, what I mean is that every culture has certain accepted and expected and reasonable ways that they live. A culture is just a way of life. And, and every group has a way they live their life out. Every church have, has cultural norms, ways they live their lives. Every, every community, every workplace, every family, every group will have certain cultural values that are, that are normal. And what happens is those cultural values provide tremendous power 
to direct our decisions and to direct our steps. It was a cultural norm for a priest, certainly in a Levite, not to, to go and, and, and engage someone who is bloody. And I mean, they were the aristocrats of the society. So no one would have thought twice that they, that they, would, they would walk on the other side of the street. No one would question whether they were good or kind because that was a cultural norm. Just as perhaps it's a cultural norm now and increasingly in the United States when we see someone asking for money as we're walking to our office, as we're going into a store, it's our cultural norm more and more that we can just not even look that way. We can just walk right on by and, and think nothing of it. Or we're just, we're, we're in a rush. And, and the personal cost causes us, you know, the, the time it would take, the expense it would, you know, in giving them money and our reputation. There are cultural norms that cause us and allow for us to become willfully blind, where we don't even see, I mean, we see with our eyes, but we don't really see the need because it's just, it's just fine to not respond. I mean, there are cities in America where a person could be screaming for help and people don't respond because it's the cultural norm. Don't get involved. So we need to be aware there's something that, that I refer to as, as, as willful blindness that can affect us and interfere with us being who Jesus was. I'm sure the priest and the, and the Levite saw the man. That's why they, they went to the other side. But it was not the norm to, to come in contact with blood. It was not the norm to lower yourself and engage in, in helping someone who, who was so much below you. I mean, the priest probably looked over and he, and he sees this man and he says he's just a, just a vagabond. Maybe he even deserved what he got. And, and, you know, maybe it's a trap. And besides, the guy has tattoos and, and piercings. You know, it was just okay to look the other way, to walk around him. No one would question that. Willful blindness. There's a historian who, when writing about, his name was Ian Kershaw, he was writing about the, the Holocaust and, and what was taking place in Nazi Germany. And he said the road to Auschwitz, the concentration camp, he said the road to Auschwitz was built by hate, but was paved with indifference. In other words, not Doing right may be as great a sin as doing what is wrong. Willful blindness, though the culture might justify it, the culture is not what dictates what's right or wrong, what's just or unjust. Let me... Let me put a, a picture on the screen. Put that picture up, Laurie. Overcoming willful blindness. I think we have a picture. Don't we have a picture? 
Well, not yet. Actually, uh, let, me, let me hold on to that. I'll, we'll wait. Let, let, me, let me read a little bit on uh, further, and we'll, we'll, I want to talk about that. Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he was traveling, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. See, social justice involves maintaining a soft heart. So not only do we overcome a willful blindness because of cultural norms, but that our heart can respond properly. So for the Samaritan who hated Jews, and, and Jews hated the Samaritans as a group, this Samaritan apparently had a soft heart, sees this man in the ditch, recognizes probably by his clothing that, that he was Jewish. The Samaritan, even though it was his cultural norm to avoid helping him, the cultural norm, I mean, the, the Samaritan's heart was soft, and it says he, he felt compassion. In other words, God led this Samaritan, God spoke to this Samaritan, helped this Samaritan to understand God's heart for the man in the ditch, and led him, directed him through his emotions. His emotions lined him up with the Father's will and the Father's heart. The Samaritan's soft heart helped him stay in step with the Father in heaven. What we need to understand is that God often wants to speak to us through our hearts. That, that our, our emotions, though our emotions can't, be, can't dictate what we do because our emotions can be off, but our emotions are part of the, the, the image of God that we have. And our emotions can if we maintain our hearts and keep them soft, our emotions can be the way in which God does direct us. That it's appropriate that we would see someone who is oppressed or in need or pressed down, broken. It's appropriate that our heart would go out to them. We need to pray that our heart stays soft. Going on in verse 34, the Samaritan, he, he, he saw him. His heart went out to him, and he went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, and put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. I mean, see, this verse, this verse shows the, the difference between a disciple and a church attender. Because it's not enough that we simply go beyond willful blindness. It isn't even enough to stop or be, be satisfied with, with feeling compassion. We need to be a people that engage in what I would refer to as deliberate discipleship where we where we can see what God sees where our hearts respond as God God's heart responds but where then we can act on it you see the Samaritan saw this 
man in the ditch. He felt compassion and then he acted. Justice involves in being deliberate. Social justice is not just saying there's need and it's important that we meet that need someone in some way. Or I, I feel compassion for those who, who are isolated or shunned or, or broken or damaged or trapped, even trapped in their sin. But I, when my path crosses them, I want God to use me and work through me. See, justice involves using our power and our privilege and our ability or our voice to lift up, to aid those with no power, no privilege, no opportunity, no voice. And it involves, it involves pushing against cultural norms. Pushing against the, po the, 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 the cultural norms. Put that picture up now, Lori. Here, here's a picture. I love this picture. I don't know where I first saw it. But this, again, is in, during Nazi Germany. And you see all these people. Hitler was passing by, and all the, the, the individuals, soldiers and civilians alike, you know, saluted Hitler as he went by. But that one man, I don't know if you can see it well enough, that one man where the circle is, was standing there, his arms crossed, refusing to salute Hitler, recognizing there is something that is just not right with, how, with, with what's going on under the, the Third Reich. There's the, the hatred and the, the killing of the Jews and the killing of, of Pol those who were Polish and Russians. It was wrong, and this man saw it was wrong and was willing to push against the tide of his culture. That takes courage. But social justice, when we inject ourselves into situations, takes courage as well. And that's why sometimes we, we, we stop at feeling compassion, even if we, we get that far. Put the next picture up. This is a woman in, in again, in, in Nazi Germany. Her, she was 21 years old. Her name is Sophie Scholl. And Sophie Scholl and her brother Hans and, and a number of other, uh, really a handful of other individuals, they were college students, saw what was happening to the Jews, was aware of, of how they were being exterminated, saw the hatred and saw the, the, the attitudes among the, the Nazi Third Reich. And, and she and the others formed a resistance movement called the White Rose. And they began to print leaflets and flyers and begin to secretly place them all throughout Germany, going and traveling throughout the country, giving these flyers, calling for people to be part of this resistance movement, the White Rose, and saying, no, we aren't going to cooperate in fact, we are going to come to the aid. We are going to speak up for the rights of the Jews and the rights of those who are being oppressed and the rights of those who are being pressed down. And this White Rose movement arose in, in, uh, in Germany and eventually the, the Nazis caught Sophie and her brother Hans, 
passing out and distributing these flyers, immediately arrested them for treason, brought them into a kangaroo court. The judge, who is also functioning as the prosecutor and the jury, within, within hours found them guilty, immediately had them taken out. They set up guillotines in the town square, and Sophie Scholl, at 21, and her brother Hans, who was about 25, and, and one other individual, were beheaded that, that very day. And going to the, the guillotine, listen to what Sophie said as she turned to the crowd that, that stood around watching what was going on. She said, how can we expect righteousness to prevail when hardly anyone is willing to offer themselves up individually for a righteous cause? See, it wasn't enough that people stood around and, and were able to, to say, oh, th- this, is, this is horrible what they're doing or this is wrong, or think to themselves that, that, that I see the oppression of, in this culture. But she was calling for people to engage in deliberate discipleship. The White Rose uh, movement was predominantly Christians who began to speak up. You see, justice, the justice that the Bible speaks of, the justice that Jesus demonstrated involves making right what is wrong. Restoring those who are broken and those who are fallen and those who have been captured by sin. Lifting up those who are pushed down. It's life on life. It's individuals who say, I want to be a deliberate Follower, a deliberate imitator of Jesus. Because no one ever oozes in to discipleship. No one ever oozes in to the kind of discipleship we're called to. You may ooze into attending church, but discipleship, that's another story. Discipleship involves a, a choice. It doesn't automatically happen through the passage of time. Discipleship occurs because an individual chooses and takes deliberate steps to say, as I find myself walking through life, seeing situations that are are wrong, that are unjust, I'll insert myself in those situations. That's how Jesus lived his life. That's why Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners and was scorned by some of society. But we can say, oh, but it grips my heart. And then we have the opportunity to go and be like him. See, the question is, will we live a life of of spiritual lip service, saying what is right, but never reflecting through our lives Christ and his purposes? Let's continue looking on. Because one of the things we need to be aware of is that justice generally will involve 
a willingness to be taken advantage of. Justice will involve a willingness at times to be taken advantage of. Listen to Luke chapter 10, verse 35. The next day, this Samaritan took out two denarii. Did I read the 34? I did? Good. That wasn't last night? Okay, the next day, Jesus took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. See, the, the, the Samaritan put his care, his concern into action and put himself into a place where he could be totally taken advantage of by the man or by the innkeeper. But his concern was not, I need to watch out for my rights. His concern was, I truly want to do everything within my power to show this man the love of Christ, even if it's to my disadvantage. How many times do we hold back helping or lifting someone up because we're so concerned about being taken advantage of? You know, if, what, what if I give this person who's asking for money on the street some money and he goes out and buys cigarettes or, or liquor? What if I reach out to this person and, and their whole story is a lie? What if that person who's laying in, in the ditch thought the priest, what if that man is actually just setting me up and he's not hurt at all? What if? But what if he's not lying? What if the person who's asking for money sincerely needs money and they're not just trying to set you up? We think, well, what if I'm kind to somebody and they're not kind back at me? What if you've wasted some kindness and we only have so much to give? What if they've seen somebody who loves and may get defrauded, but they did what is right and they were willing to be taken advantage of and they'll do it again? Remember Jesus when there were ten lepers who, who wanted to be healed, wanted to be cleansed of their leprosy? And remember what? He, he looks at them and he said, what if this, if I heal you and it doesn't bear any spiritual fruit? Mm -mm, I can't take the chance. Now it says he healed all ten lepers who came to him. And only one leper, he says, came back and thanked him. And he said, knew I shouldn't have done it. Those ungrateful people taking advantage of my love. No. The one leper came back and thanked him and probably followed him. The others just took what they could get and took off. 
Didn't matter. Pays the same. God was honored in Jesus doing what was right, expressing his love through him. It's between God and, and those individuals how they respond. Let's finish up Luke chapter 10, verse 36. Jesus said, which of these three, he said, remember the, the Pharisee, the question he's, Jesus is addressing is, who really is our neighbor? Jesus turns to that Pharisee and says, now, you've heard the story, which of these three, the Levite, the priest, and the Samaritan, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the law said, the one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said, Go and do the same. The, the Pharisees are saying, who really is our neighbor? Who do we really have to help? And Jesus said, you're the neighbor. Whoever's, whatever path you cross, where there's a need, where there's something that you could show my kindness, a situation where you can show my kindness, show my love, Show my affection. Show my care. You're the neighbor. And therefore you need to, to step out. You need to care for that, that cranky man who lives next door to you. Who, who no one in the neighborhood will give the time of day. You're the neighbor. You step out. The, the, the person at work who's just a little bit obtuse and obnoxious and, and everyone talks about no one wants to spend time with. He doesn't get invited to, to go out after work for a, you know, for a lemonade. He doesn't get asked to, 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 to go to hang out with anyone. He doesn't, no one eats with him during lunch. You're the neighbor. You have opportunity to not engage in willful blindness, to not engage in, in just feeling compassion and doing nothing. You're the neighbor. You get to be a deliberate disciple. But what if I get taken advantage of? What if, what if he turns against me when I try to show him kindness? What if your Father in heaven will be pleased and that man may miss out? But that's God's business. Here, here's how I want to finish up today. I think this is the kind of sermon that we need to respond to. Not the sermon so much as what Jesus is saying to us. Now, I talked earlier about Sophie Scholl. I talked about this woman who, who started the White Rose, a resistance movement, resisting what was true of the culture and, and, and bringing about what was right. We need to understand that, that the church is to be a resistance movement. Just as clearly as, as the White Rose was one in Nazi Germany. The church is to be a resistance movement. That we get to resist hatred that is in the world and selfishness that drives the world and, and oppression. We get to resist things that are unfair and that which is unkind. We get to resist ungraciousness and, and being unmerciful. We get to resist that which is wrong and actively bring 
God's kingdom purposes, his kindness, his mercy, his justice into those situations. And what I, here's how I want to finish up. I made some cards up with a white rose on it. And, and what I want, I'm going to just put them up front here on the stage, but I want us to, to have an opportunity where we can respond and say, Jesus, I want to be a deliberate disciple. I want to be used, whether it's when I'm at work, when I'm at school, in my neighborhood, in my family, I want to be used to, to speak up for those who have no voice. I want, to, I want to lift up those who are being pushed down. Lord, I, I want to have eyes so, that I, so I can not only feel mercy, but I can extend mercy to those who have, who have fallen and have sinned. I want to show kindness to those who are broken. I want to be, show humility like he talks about in, in Malachi. I want to show humility and, and not compete and not step on the back of another to, to lift myself up. And I, I'm going to just call for us to come forward. Those who recognize maybe your, your eyes have grown dim to, to need, whose hearts have grown, grown unresponsive and, and, and hard to, to feeling compassion, that we can come and say, Jesus, make my heart soft. Jesus, I, I, I'm inviting us to come forward and say, Jesus, won't you each day remind me and tap me on the shoulder when there's an opportunity to resist what is wrong, and to be deliberate in doing, saying, or being, and acting in a way that is right. And, and you take the card, and you could put it on your desk at work. You could use it as a bookmark at school. You can put it on your mirror when you get up in the morning. You can put it uh, in your wallet, whatever you want to do with it. But just use it as a reminder of the fact that we get to do the works of Jesus that we have been commissioned, co-missioned. We come along and take up the mission of Christ. So I want you to stand up. If, if that is a commitment that you want to make, asking God to come and, and let you be used by him, just come forward. Uh, feel free to take a card and, and, and just use it as a reminder. I'll just put them up here on the stage. Be overcome by your presence.
Father, we just come to you right now. Lord, won't you give us that privilege and, and remind us of that, that responsibility that we get to be your voice, your hands, your heart here on earth. That we get to take handfuls of your purposes and your kingdom values and bring them from heaven to earth. Lord, we want to be a resistance movement. When bringing kindness, bringing humility, bringing justice, bringing mercy so that your kingdom can be represented well. Your purposes can be seen. Lord, we want to be deliberate Christians. And, and Father, I pray that you would just, by your Holy Spirit, remind us, Lord, remind us that that we get to, to do your works. Father, remind us each day of opportunities before us to, to reach out, to lift up, to show mercy to those who, who deserve no mercy, to those just like us who've been recipients of your grace and your mercy your kindness and justice. So Father, we want to be people who, who see what you want us to see, who respond in our hearts as you responded. We want to be deliberate disciples who actively make themselves available to you. Work in us, Lord. Soften and change our hearts. Work through us, Jesus. Work through us, Lord. Allow us to be the, the vehicle through which your kingdom can be extended to where we work, where we live, where, where our foot falls each day. In Jesus' name, amen.